Thank you once again for listening to Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. As always, I'm your host, Paul Thompson, and I was joined this week by Phil Glenn, 2019 Kansas City, Missouri mayoral candidate and business owner here in the Kansas City metropolitan area. I talked to Glenn about a variety of subjects, including how to best honor Dr. Martin Luther King's legacy in Kansas City, whether or not he believes that the city is properly expending the funds derived from the $800 million general obligation bond issue voted on by Kansas City, Missouri residents last year, how to decide which areas of the city are most in need of public incentives, and his own motivations for diving into the realm of public service. Glenn also talks about his time serving as the president of the board of Northeast Community Center, what's drawn him to the historic Northeast community and why he likes it, and the latest about the American Jazz Museum and what he would like to see done to invigorate the important historical district. What follows is my wide-ranging discussion with 2019 Kansas City, Missouri mayoral candidate, Phil Glenn. Thank you very much for listening. Paul Thompson here with the Northeast News, sitting uh, right across from Phil Glenn, mayoral candidate. And he was kind enough to come down to the Northeast News offices here off St. John Avenue. So I appreciate you taking the time and coming down and meeting us on our home turf. You're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, absolutely. So obviously, uh, I guess the big topic will be your upcoming run for mayor. You were the first non-city council candidate to put your name in the ring. As far as I know, you're the only, unless there's some people who snuck in under the cracks that I haven't been aware of yet. But I guess I'll just ask, um, how do you feel you stack up to the, the candidates on the city council who are already putting their name in the ring? I'm excited about the future for Kansas City. I think we've come a long way in recent years, but it's time to do some things differently. And I'm the only business owner who's running for mayor, which makes me the best person to bring that new approach. We're experiencing growth in Kansas City, but the problem is it's concentrated in in too few neighborhoods. Uh Not all of our communities are sharing in this growth. It's going to take a different approach to do that. And being the only business owner running for mayor, I saw that as an unmet need in the current field of candidates. And I knew that based on my my background of bringing investment to communities that have had not in the past, uh, attracting, you know, talented people to come to Kansas City and join our company, doing all the things we do in our business I think are things that would really benefit Kansas City, and that's why I decided to get in the race. Can you tell me a little bit about your business? Sure. The business is called Travoy. Mm-hmm. It's a family business. My wife and I own it together. We work together. She's the CEO. I'm the president. We've been around since 1995. We're based in the crossroads in Kansas City, and we provide economic development and housing financing and, and other forms of assistance to Native American communities across the country. So we bring private investors to the table to build early childhood education facilities to extend high-speed internet access to build and, and rehabilitate affordable housing in some really economically struggling communities around the country. And that's, that's our business. We're for-profit. We're mission-driven. We have 50 employees at our headquarters downtown. Uh, we've been around since 1995. We serve about 100 different clients in 22 states across the country, and we've had a $1.3 billion impact on the communities we serve during that time. Wow. Uh, how did you get involved with it initially? I mean, what was the impetus for for the formation of this company? I got involved with the company in 2006. It started in, in 1995 and was founded by uh, my father-in-law, actually. Right. His name's his name's David Bland. Uh, he's now retired. He worked for the Federal Reserve Bank in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And our bank in Kansas City does this too. Each of the Fed banks has a community affairs group, and that group works with communities that lack access to capital. Uh If you think about the map of the country, the rural regions around Minnesota, that's Indian country. That's where America's Native American communities really are to a large extent. So his job became outreach to tribes to get people 
uh, to start creating some economic opportunity on reservations. Now, what's interesting, and I think what's what's relevant for what I'm trying to do with my campaign is here's what he found. He worked for the Fed. The Fed said, here's all of our research that shows the best way to battle poverty in these communities um, is to get more banks open on reservations, get more people into the mainstream financial system. And he thought, okay, fine, makes sense. It would make, it would probably make sense to anybody who didn't live in a Native American community, hadn't right. grown up in one. It, the data showed it, and it, it made sense academically. What he found when he took that message out to reservations was tribal leaders saying, yeah, that would be great, but our number one front burner economic problem is affordable housing. Yes, we would love to help our people get off check cashing and payday loans and car title loans and, you know, to have bank accounts and start saving for retirement, saving for college. We would love to have all that stuff. But we're dealing with a homelessness and an affordable housing crisis in our community. Secondary issue to totally. serious. I mean, people can't afford rent. People can't afford to buy a house. I mean, this, these, these issues of, of getting a bank is sort of secondary to getting yeah. by. Right. It's important, but you're right. It's not, it wasn't the front burner issue. And so he took that message. So he listened to these tribal leaders and he said, what you're saying makes sense. I can see it around me. Now that I'm here, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. He takes this message back to the Fed and the Fed's attitude is, is, well, didn't you show them the report? Didn't you tell them the, the, what our research showed? And he said, yeah, but when I talked to them about what our research showed, they're telling me that the experience they're living with every day is different. Right. And the Federal Reserve System just didn't really want to hear that, couldn't hear that. And right. so he left the bank and formed Travoy because he was listening to what people in the communities that were being affected by the issue, what they wanted, not coming in from the outside with his own ideas about what should be happening. And that's a, that is the core of our company's culture. And that's something that we, that my wife Elizabeth and I, really try to recruit people who get that and try to impress that upon every new person who we hire that community-based economic development never works. If an idea is imposed from the outside, we only see value in business ideas and housing development ideas and new program ideas that come organically from the community that is experiencing the problem. That's what we do for our customers. And that's what I want to do as mayor of Kansas city, because I think to the extent that we are successful with our community-based economic development in Kansas City is when we listen to people and we follow the lead of people who are in the community where the issue is taking place. Where we fail in our community economic development efforts is when we try to hand down plans from on high from outside the community and impose an outside vision on a neighborhood where we don't live. Well, extending that analogy, is there an area in, in Kansas City government where it isn't being implemented the way that it needs to be for communities to thrive? Yeah, I think that... Um, we have a big problem with economic development in Kansas City. I say that as somebody who is a practitioner of economic development and sees successful models from around the country. And I'm not trying to say that I have all the answers. I mean, I've learned this by by succeeding and by failing. I've learned by trial and error, which is mm-hmm. the way you learn anything in business. It's the way you learn anything in politics, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I was on the TIF commission for four years. And we did some things on the commission I was very proud of. We fi- helped finance a new grocery store at mm-hmm. 39th and Prospect. Mm-hmm. A new grocery store in a food desert that is built close to the sidewalk so that it shines light on the street so that it's walkable. So there's accessibility for public transit. That project checks all the boxes for me. That's exactly the kind of thing we ought to be doing in our economic development efforts in Kansas city. The projects that came before the TIF commission, when I was on the TIF commission that I, that I couldn't go along with were basically new corporate headquarters for companies that were already in Kansas city. that were in parts of Kansas city that are already economically successful. I think we have to stop kidding ourselves about where we expend economic development resources in this community. We cannot look at areas on Ward Parkway or north of the river or on the plaza and say that they are blighted just so that we can unlock some 
tax incentive that we want to mm-hmm. give to a project. We got to be we got to be real about parts of our community that truly do lack investment, and we need to look for communities that that, like I said, that we seek out at Travoy. Just because a community has economic problems, I'm talking about poverty and unemployment. I'm talking about low life expectancy. I'm talking about violence. I'm talking about real problems, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you have a community that has those issues does not mean that there are also really great opportunities for people to be successful in those communities. And I feel like we're sitting here having this conversation in the middle of a neighborhood that fits that description perfectly. Sure. I mean, Northeast mm-hmm. Kansas City, I know it has issues. Like, I, I know that there are problems. But this is a great neighborhood. It has families. It has beautiful old homes. It has mm-hmm. wide sidewalks. It has small businesses. It has diversity. It has all the things. It ha- To me, it has the building blocks of a successful neighborhood, and not because somebody in City Hall or at the EDC or someone outside Kansas City figured that out and made it that way. It's become that way on its own. Mm-hmm. But what it lacks is city resources and the kinds of things that make a neighborhood successful, which is public safety, walkability, you know, creating a, creating a city where it's easier for parents to make a decent living and still have some time to spend with their kids, to, to have a good quality of life for our young people in Kansas City. I think that the next generation of mm-hmm. successful people, the next generation of leaders, I, there's no good reason why those should not be kids who are grown up in Northeast Kansas City right now. Yeah, and I, that's a good point. And I would suggest that some of the things you were talking about, about you know going into an Indian reservation, looking at the problems that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, and seeing how that differs from that 30,000-foot perspective of, of what people think might work for that neighborhood, probably resonates with people in the historic Northeast. Uh, for instance, you mentioned blight designation, TIF. Uh, those are issues that I personally am passionate about. I'm not sure that people on the on the ground floor will, will see how that affects their life, but that but that's one of those things. I mean, you could point to, for instance, the development downtown around the Power and Light District with Cordish, and now we've got three light that's coming up, two lights about to be open. They're spending $15 million a year, or at least, on, on a parking garage for three light, and at the same time saying that, well, we don't have enough affordable housing in this area. I think it's hard for people in the Northeast maybe to stomach the thought of spending that kind of money on a parking garage for a company that could could pay for that themselves. How would you look to alter deals like the 100-year agreement with Cordish that commits the city to be paying those kind of sums for for parking garages, for for luxury living downtown? When I was a little kid, I would go downtown with my dad. And when we would leave, I felt like we would have to turn the lights off. Like we were the last ones out, which turned, you know, there was nothing going on down there. And it was a big problem. It wasn't just a problem because there was nowhere to go out to lunch or nowhere to go to happy hour. It was a problem that we had no economic activity in the central business district of a major city. That was a problem at the time. And I'm talking the 80s and 90s, right? right? That was a problem at the time that was holding the entire city back. It rose to the level of being something that the whole city should be mad about and should do something about. All right. And the city was mad about it. And this, the business, the government, the politicians, all these communities did do something about it. They rebuilt downtown Mm -hmm. and we should be grateful to the generation of people who did that. But you have to declare victory at a certain point Mm -hmm. and change your perspective, change your focus. What the downtown experience has proved to me is that when this city gets serious about getting all of the you know, all the leaders in our community on the same page to do something big that we can. Mm-hmm. If we want to set a big, audacious, ambitious goal, we can, we should, and we can meet or even exceed our expectations. That's what downtown shows me. Now, that is not the problem downtown anymore. No. Down, the pro, the, a lack of high-end departments in our CBD is not the problem. 
in our community, right? It is not something right. that's holding our entire community back. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with investing city resources in something you want, but we have to look at our taxpayers like investors. So I'm the only, I'm the only business owner running for mayor. I represent investors and my investors continue to work with the business that my wife and I own because we set reasonable expectations and we deliver. And the expectation, the expectation that we need to set in Kansas city for our taxpayers who are our investors is that we will only invest your money if we're going to get you something you don't already have. Mm -hmm. Okay. Investing the taxpayers resources to get a new grocery store at 39th and prospect, like we did on the TIF commission when I was a TIF commissioner. I feel like I could sit down across the table from any parent of a kid in the public schools and say why this was a good investment of resources that would have otherwise gone to things your kid's school needs. I'm sure mm -hmm. textbooks, iPads, pens and pencils, whatever. Right. I still feel that I could have made the case to say, I've got young kids too. I see how important it is for them to have a healthy breakfast. I, it makes my children better students to go into school with, you know, a, a, a good breakfast, uh, the healthy environment. It makes me a better parent to have a grocery store in my neighborhood and healthy communities and healthy schools go hand in hand. That deal was worth it. But how can I possibly say that about a parking garage for an apartment building that only a very small portion of our city could ever even afford to live in? And people that already have the means. Absolutely. So what we need to be doing, in my opinion, I'm, I'm about using our economic incentive programs and city resources and the political capital and the, the megaphone of being mayor mm -hmm. to spend money. You got to spend money to make money. I own a business and I don't believe that we need to lay down our weapons and just quit on this, this mission that we're on of trying to grow Kansas city, to grow our economy. But I don't want to use those resources on parts of town that are already doing well because there are certain parts of town that just don't need the city's help anymore. Right. And there are so many that obviously objectively do. And Northeast, to me, is a really good example of a community that has really taken, taken up the mantle of leadership itself and said, this is the direction where we want to go. And we have good ideas and good people to implement them, but we don't have enough money. Right. To me, that's exactly the kind of situation where city government can step in and actually add value and do something positive. Nobody in city government had to decide to embark on this Paseo Gateway initiative to completely change the face of Independence Paseo, mm -hmm. to add more affordable housing, quality housing to the Independence Boulevard corridor. That was something that the city government played a critical role in getting us a HUD grant to do that. Mm -hmm. Clearly, Mayor James and his team have played a critical role in setting the table for what's going to happen. But the reason there was even political focus and energy on that in the first place was because of people who have lived in this neighborhood their whole lives who wanted to make it happen. Right. No, I think that's a good point. And I, I think you look at the Paseo Gateway Project and those developments, You either whether it be uh, the Pendleton Arch Block, uh, Pendleton Flats, or the Quinlan Row, Quinlan Place Apartments, I mean, that should be the goal, right? You have a mixed income development there that is bringing people from all economic classes together to live. And, and there's... I think ideally, and I've talked to people who are work for HUD, who work for the housing authority, who say, ideally, you can't tell who's paying market rate and who isn't, right? Because you're living right next to them and what they are is a neighbor. They're not a low income a resident or they're, you know, you don't put those labels on them. So I think that's a really good point about the Paseo Gateway and how that can be sort of a model. But I guess it helps to have $30 million in federal funding for something like that. And it sounds like you would be willing to to kind of push for that kind of stuff moving forward as well, right? Like I said, you these big ambitious projects, they take a lot of financial resources. Mm -hmm. And I have experience of putting together three, $400 million worth of projects of this scale. I, it takes money. Mm -hmm. 
what we ought to be about is bringing in those resources from outside our community. We can't continue to rely on our libraries and our schools and our public agencies to underwrite economic development in this community. Hmm. We live in a country that has immense wealth, and we're living through a period of history in our country where there is a huge concentration of wealth in private hands. Mm -hmm. Scary for all sorts of reasons, right? Bad for all sorts of reasons. But in everything that is scary or bad, I also see opportunity. And what the opportunity, in my opinion, is, is there's all this investment capital out there looking for somewhere to go, looking for a return. And I think there was a period of time where a lot of this national real estate related money was focused on Portland. And I think there was a time where it was focused on Austin. Then I think there was we're living through a time now where it's kind of focused on Nashville. I see no good reason why we should not be next. I think we're poised for something huge in Kansas City, but it's going to take somebody who comes from a business background to look up and see what's happening across the entire country, not just be focused on what's been happening in the internal politics of City Hall in the last few years. Right. I, I, I stress this because I, I do not believe we should be using our economic incentive programs in parts of the city that are not, excuse me, that are, that are already doing well. Right. But I, I don't want to leave any impression that I'm not serious about bringing major capital investment to our community. I want to do it in a way where we're bringing in resources from outside our community, because then we're also not only we're bringing in dollars that we didn't have before, we're bringing in new people who've never been here before. Right. I mean, you know what it's like if you've ever had a relative or a friend visit from out of town, mm-hmm. you tell for years, oh, you should come visit me in Kansas City. It's great. You'll love it. And they say, no way. I'm never coming to Kansas City. I got to take time off for that. Yeah. And then yeah. what do they say when they get here? Yeah. They love it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They said, I had no idea this was so cool. Right. Okay. Well, that's going to be one of the other things that happens if we start doing community-based economic development in a different way. It's not just going to move the needle financially. It's going to continue to build on this awesome brand that we have as Kansas City right now, which I have to say, I think the current mayor deserves a lot of credit for. Mm-hmm. Good. Now, you bring up a lot of interesting stuff about how we should allocating, how we should be allocating funds for economic development. And it, it kind of made me think about a project that I covered when I was working out in South Kansas City in, in the Hickman Mills District. Uh, you, you talked about going to school districts and saying, we're going to pull this money from classrooms for a project that will hopefully bring economic development to your area. And I remember there was a, a passionate debate at the time about CERN moving their headquarters over there to uh, that Bannerster area in, in, in the Hickman Mills area. The, and there was a lot of people wondering, well, is this worth the money that we're pulling out of the school district? And that one is a little more difficult, I think, than saying, well, yeah. The intercontinental shouldn't be using a blight status to create a, a community yeah. improvement district, yeah. right? Or you shouldn't be using, you shouldn't be leaning on this downtown blight designation to to finance a parking garage for for three light. But I think it gets a little bit more difficult when you look at an area like Hakeman Mills, where they obviously need it. They're one of those areas you mentioned that that needs that investment, and I think Northeast is is as well. And when they got it, or when the opportunity came there for Cerner to move in there and bring billions of dollars, hypothetically, in economic development at the expense of millions of dollars year to year in in tax revenue for that school district, I think there was a a passionate debate. So I guess I'd ask you, in in an instance like that, and I don't recall whether or not you were actually on the TIF commission then, but I'm sure you're familiar with that issue. What were your thoughts and if how would you have handled that one? I was not on the TIF commission when that deal went through. I would have voted for it. And I remember looking at the census data at the time because like we were talking about before, we have to be real about which parts of our community are blighted and which parts aren't. We have to be real about which parts of our community need investment and which ones don't. And one of the things that drives me up the wall is people who 
try to declare a certain area blighted because they see an old building that they think is ugly or that's there's a, they try to make it a matter of taste. And this isn't about taste. This is about data, right? The census tract where the old Bannister mall was located is under 80% of the area median income. Mm -hmm. It is a low income area by the standards of many federal programs. In my gut, I feel weird saying that because I don't think of that part of Kansas City as having those kinds of problems. Right. But again, this can't be about, we can't be making gut decisions. We have to be looking at numbers. And when you look at the numbers in that census tract, you can justify that kind of, you can justify a public investment in that area. Sure. Based absolutely. On that. So I don't think that I would have been, it would certainly not have been a no brainer right. if I was on the commission. But if I had been on the commission, knowing what I knew then, I would have voted yes on that particular deal. And that was a tough one, I know, because the, the school board wasn't in favor of it, generally speaking. And they got they got outgunned when it came to voting for it on the city element. But I, I thought it would be worthwhile to ask you about that one because it's a little bit more difficult of a decision than maybe mm-hmm. uh, just saying, well, yeah, obviously the Intercontinental shouldn't be using a blight designation to, to pull extra incentives for themselves. Yeah, so. I mean, some of those proposals that come before the commissioner are just crazy. Right. The Sterner one is tough, and it's tough just because of the price tag. It's the biggest economic development project in the history of the state, right. not just the city. But the, the I guess the, the question being is, is Hickman Mills getting the benefit of that? You know, I mean, I think there's yeah. a lot of promises about, well, these people are going to be here. They're going to shop here. They're going to live here. And I think maybe there's an argument to be made that a lot of these people who are working on that Sterner campus are living in Lee Summit. They're living in Leewood. They're living in Mission Hills. And they're driving there. So I think that's where that issue became so difficult. And I don't mean to turn this into uh, an entire discussion mm-hmm. about Hickman Mills, yeah. but I thought I thought it was worthwhile to get your thoughts on something that is a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I was conflicted about it when I read it about the time, and I'm conflicted about it as sitting here having this conversation with you. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, yeah it's a, you talk to a different person in a different meeting, and it's you know it's easy, I think, to – either way, I think I, yeah. I, I was conflicted recovering that one as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, let's move along. I wanted to ask you about your connections to the historic Northeast as well. Mm-hmm. I understand you were on the board of the Northeast Community Center. I, for years, was the president of the board of the Northeast Community Center. How did that come about? Uh Through this great connection through UMKC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should say that the, the Northeast Community Center is – is in excellent hands. We had our, uh, my last meeting as board president was last Wednesday. And there's a, a great guy named Dave Collier, who's a lawyer at Brian cave, who's super passionate about classical music education for kids, which is what we do at the Northeast community center. Harmony project, Harmony Kansas project, city, Harmony project, Kansas city. Uh-huh. So, uh, Dave has taken the reins and nothing but a bright future ahead. Um, but yeah, it was awesome to be the, to the president of that board for a couple of years. And the way I found out about it is through UMKC. So I got my master's in public administration from UMKC, which is where I met Anita Davis, who's sitting right here next to me, who's the director of operations for Phil Glenn for mayor. Say hi, Anita. Hi. <laughs> nice <laughs> plug right there. Thank Anita, you. So Anita and I got our, our MPAs together. And you know, when you, um, like when you graduate from school on your mm-hmm. way out the door, they're giving you all this stuff, like basically to say, hey, don't forget about us. Be sure to give money to the alumni fund. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you get all this stack of paper, right? Right, right? Well, one of the things in the stack was from something called the board bank. And Mm -hmm. it said, would you, if you would ever be willing to serve on a nonprofit board, give us your information because sometimes nonprofits come to the block school at UMKC and they ask us for help finding board members. Mm -hmm. I got a call completely out of the blue from Cindy Lawfer at UMKC saying there's this place called the Northeast community center. They are starting this program called harmony project. They used to be the home for years. Northeast community center was the home of SVN, the Mm -hmm. charter school. Right. The charter school was a success. It outgrew the building. They were moving down the block and the community center was getting an opportunity to reinvent itself. Mm -hmm. And the current board members, many of whom were family members of the founder of that charter school, 
the charity had always been very closely associated with a family called Bashalia, mm-hmm. which is one of the, the Italian families that's been in Northeast Kansas City forever and ever. Sure. Uh, anyway, there was not only was the school transitioning out, but um, Charles Shangler, who was a, a member of that family, was getting was getting older. His family members who, who he had gotten involved were just kind of it was ready for the it was ready for the center to be reinvented. The time right. was right for a change. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to bring in a bunch of new board members. They needed somebody with finance experience. Um, Laura Schultz, the executive director of the center, called me up. I took a tour of the center, instantly fell in love with it. I've been driving by it for years. I always thought it was an old Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it because has, it has that look, you know? Yeah. 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 Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd always seen it driving up and down Independence, but um, just because of where it is and the design and the age of the building, I thought, well, sure, that's, that's got to be a Catholic church. And then come to find it has this whole fascinating history as the Northeast Community Center. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's an example of what we were talking about earlier about what makes the Northeast Community Center great. This is the first place that new families to the U.S. have always come. Mm-hmm. This is an area that has the thing that every other neighborhood in Kansas City that is kind of in redevelopment mode says it wants, right? Mm-hmm. Young families, hardworking people, diversity, great restaurants. All that stuff is in Northeast Kansas City because... The Northeast has always been an immigrant community. I mean, the Northeast Community Center was home base for a lot of Italian immigrants during a, a period of American history where they really needed a, a safe place to land and a, and a place to be protected and to be a community. And to that point, to this day, I mean, Della Lamb Community Services is is um, finding homes for refugees. We're doing, uh, doing refugee resettlement in this area. And you got Somalians, Vietnamese, you got just people from all over the world coming to Northeast Kansas City. It's kind of cool. It's totally cool. And that's one of the great things about the center. And Charles Shangler, who passed away, gosh, almost two years ago now, mm-hmm. I think that he was really proud to see at the end of his life that there was this whole other wave of new Americans coming. Primarily, our experience at the center has been families from Latin America. But I think it gave him a lot of pride and it made him feel really good about what his family had accomplished and how far he had come that they were families that were going through exactly the same kind of stuff that he had gone through as a little boy. Mm-hmm. They were coming to Kansas City and because there was someone who cared when he was a little kid, cared enough to create that center, and he cared enough to keep it going. Those new Americans, one of their first experiences of being Kansas Citians was of being in that beautiful building, getting excellent music instruction from classically trained teachers. Mm. And that's what that Kansas City has to do more of that. You know, I think that I have little kids. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, my experience of, with kids is that they don't listen to what you say. They pay attention to what you do. Sure. And the Northeast Community Center doesn't say that it cares about kids. It doesn't say that it values students. It shows it. Mm-hmm. It wraps its arms around the young people of Northeast Kansas City. And, yeah, it's just been one of the best experiences I've ever had to be associated with that group. Uh, it's really nice to hand the, the board chairmanship off to Dave Collier because now he has to be the one to send the emails to, <laughs> and get everybody to show up on time. Yeah, and be stuff. really organized. Yeah, it'll be nice to just be a, to be a board member and not have to be the, the person doing all the scheduling anymore. But yeah, I, I mean, I could talk about the, the community center all day, so I should probably stop. <laughs> You're fine. I appreciate it. It's good to see that kind of passion. Um, I did want to ask you about some big issues facing our city right now. Maybe we could do kind of a quick hit little segment here where I bring up some topics and mm-hmm. you kind of let the community know where you stand on them. Is, is, is this a nice way of saying that my answers have been too long up to this point? Is this quick? No, th- I think this is my way of saying <laughs> I should probably do a better job of being specific about my questions. How about that? The lightning round. Yeah, there we go. Um, and I like your answer so far, so don't be too hard on okay, yourself. Right, right. um, so one of the big things that just happened on Sunday was a recommendation regarding uh, a way to honor Martin Luther King Jr. And now initially that had come across as an initial uh, petition related to maybe changing the name of the Paseo. 
that's kind of become a lightning rod sort of issue here because now they're saying, well, the, the airport, the, the terminal, maybe 63rd Street. And I even saw some some council members going back and forth of that, about that like, even today. So how would you handle this issue? I know this actually would be kind of tough to, do, to answer too quickly, but um, <laughs> what are your thoughts? It should be Paseo. It's not acceptable to me that we're the only major community in the country that does not have a boulevard named after... I hesitate to even say icon because I feel like so much of what is said about Dr. King is is this kind of sanitized, gauzy version of him mm-hmm. that history gives us that he was about freedom and love and everyone understanding each other. And, and he was about all those things. But he was also about, again, being honest about the problems that America has. Mm-hmm. That, to me, and, and, and even that is an oversimplification, but it's just... You know, as, as I think out loud about this, to me, he was not about making things easy for people. He was not about making people comfortable. He was about having, he was about sacrifice. He sacrificed his life for what he believed in. Sure. Okay? So because of all of that, we should have a street named after him. We have to do it in a way that honors his legacy. And the only way I, as a, as a white person, as a man who's come from a privileged background, to even begin to honor that legacy is to start by listening to the people in our community who truly do own the legacy of Dr. King. And if the Southern Christian Leadership Conference of Greater Kansas City says, we believe Paseo should become Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, and we are ready to not just put our voices behind this, but we are ready to put action behind it and collect the signatures required to make it happen, we are ready to sponsor a March for Peace that Anita and I marched in a couple of weeks back, if the Southern Christian Leadership Conference of Greater Kansas City is ready to say all that, that's all I need to know. I believe they're right. I know there are lots of people who I like and respect who feel differently about it, but that's how I feel. Let's make it to sale. All right. Good answer. I'll move on to my next one. I wanted to ask another ongoing issue in Kansas City right now, which is actually going to be discussed at the 8.30 a.m. Finance and Governance meeting on Wednesday, May 23rd at 8.30 in the morning, (laughs) is the American Jazz Museum. It's interesting. Now, it's not technically in the Northeast. It's very close, and there can be a lot of synergy between the Northeast and the American Jazz Museum in the 18th and Vine District. I don't know that it's been fully realized yet, and but one of the things, the connections there, if you go back a few years, you look at the Kansas City Museum, they went through a lot of the same issues that the American Jazz Museum is going through now. They had to completely restructure their board, just like is happening at the American Jazz Museum. And if you talk to people who are involved with the American Jazz Museum, they will often point to the Kansas City Museum as something that, hey, look at all the money, look at all the support they're getting. Why aren't we getting that? Why do they have a collection that is treated with the utmost care and ours is in a basement? So long story short, I'll I'll just ask you, do you think that the city should be putting more money into the American Jazz Museum? And do you agree with the tack the city is taking now as it relates to pulling third district council members potentially from the board moving forward and putting a halt to city funding for the museum if they don't hire um, a new interim executive director from within the city? I agree with the city's political strategy. I agree that the museum needs a new director. The answer to your other question about money is yes. We, sh- we have to continue to invest in that museum because it, is, it anchors a district that should be one of the most interesting, most fun, most exciting places for people to visit in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. It has amazing potential, and it is an incredibly important part of our history. It's, it's a, I mean, if the West Bottoms is part of our history, 18th and Vine has to be. Mm-hmm. If Loose Park is part of our history, 18th and Vine has to be. Mm-hmm. If all the other parts of our city we say are important enough to invest resources in it, like the Kansas City Museum, are part of our history, then 
how is Charlie Parker not a part of our history, right? Sure. Okay, so so my 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 straight answer as somebody who's running for mayor is I'm supportive of the current track that these discussions are on. And in general, public funding to make that museum successful is worth it. Okay? There needs to be better accountability and there needs to be a new leader of the organization. Period. So like taking off my guy running for mayor hat and just putting on my person who loves music and loves museums hat. Wanting Kansas City to be cool hat? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh which I think is a Baldwin hat, right? Yeah. What, is that yeah, like so. a cool, yeah. yeah. Like maybe they're the circle with the X and the KCMO. Yeah, yeah. Pick, imagine, okay, so if you're listening at home, look at your rack of cool hipster hats that you have, and that's the hat I'm talking about. <laughs> your you coolest want, hipster hat. The coolest hat you have. All right. Um, it's so hard to make a museum about music. Music is meant to be experienced live. Uh-huh. And this is just me putting this in the suggestion box as a, as a citizen. I want it to be a performance venue, not a museum. Jazz isn't some historical artifact that should be looked at behind glass. It's an ongoing part of our culture. So what I want for the Kansas City, or excuse me, for the American Jazz Museum as a citizen is let's create a place for our amazing, young, talented people to perform Mm -hmm. here in Kansas City where people can actually go see them. And if there's a, like you said, I don't know enough about the collection to say, but if... If you say there's a beautiful collection locked away in a basement somewhere, I will believe you. I have yet to experience the physical collection of the American Jazz Museum. Mm-hmm. I felt it's an awesome event space. I've had some great experiences going there and celebrating great organizations and mm-hmm. going to great parties. I have never personally stood there and, and been awed by the collection of the museum the way I felt at the Nelson or the Kemper or the Kansas City Museum. Sure. But I know that I would feel that way if I experienced jazz inside that venue. So the Blue Room, the Gem Theater getting prominent acts down there and, and playing in front of people and then saying, Hey, check out across the street. You can learn a little more about our history. Make it be a feature rather than the whole shebang. Maybe. Yeah, totally. And if we get a great, you know, if there's a great museum expert who can come in and say, no, Phil, you're wrong. Here's how you can make a great jazz history museum in a museum setting. And they can prove me wrong. I'm totally going to listen to them because there are people who have their whole career and academic training is in that type of curation and, and exhibition. But what I'm hoping for just as someone who wants to take my, family down there is like, I want to hear more music. Right. And if we have more square footage to create more music, let's do that. Cool. Great answer. Um, I w- wanted to ask one more thing here, and it was related to the $800 million in general obligation bond funds. There was a huge debate at City Hall in, in the past month regarding how those funds are being expended, if they're being expended appropriately, how the outlay is on a year-to-year basis. And I think it was Councilwoman Catherine Shields who said, we promised taxpayers that this would be spent on sidewalks existing roads, existing infrastructure. And according to her, she's not seeing enough of that. And I, and I think that would probably resonate with Northeast residents too, because you mentioned the sidewalks here, right? How, how big and wide they are. Well, there's a lot of cracks on those sidewalks. And there's people here who say, why would I support some big legacy project in Kansas City when the roads I drive on, the sidewalks I walk on are not in good enough shape for my family? Or I can't, if somebody in a, in a wheelchair put, is going down the sidewalk, they're going to have to go into the grass because the sidewalk is all cracked and jagged. So maybe I'm oversimplifying that, but, and I'm sorry, Councilwoman Shields, if I am, but I I guess I just ask, do you feel like those funds, those general obligation bond funds are being expended in the best way possible? And, and in the, in the way that it was sold to taxpayers who voted on it. No, we've been sitting here for 30 minutes. I've heard two sirens. I haven't heard a single jackhammer. Mm -hmm. I'm the only business owner running for mayor. What I have to do in my job is when I commit to something, promise something publicly, I have to deliver. All right. The city has yet to deliver on what was promised when the voters overwhelmingly supported the geo bond. Mm -hmm. 
I voted for that. I voted for that because I believed that the way that they laid out the funding and presented it to the public was a plan that I completely agreed with. And I certainly don't think it's too late. And there's no one who individually I would hold responsible or say it was their fault. But the simple fact is it's construction season and we are not experiencing the implementation of this geobot yet. All right. At least not at the level that was promised. It sounds like I haven't seen it. Doesn't seem like you've seen it. I don't know anyone who says they're being inconvenienced by major constructions on our streets and sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be. So I'm not, I'm not saying again, (laughs) I'm not identifying any current council member or any current city employee or anybody else, because I think that big construction projects are hard and they take time. And I understand that because that's what I do. But I am not satisfied with the pace of deployment of the geobond. I haven't talked to anybody else who is. The thing that I was focused on when I was deciding how I was going to vote was, are we going to figure out a way to do away with this crazy system that we have of making people pay for their own sidewalks? Mm -hmm. You know, so when I found out that finally we were going to put ourselves on a path to making new and repaired sidewalks the city's job, I was sold. Because... So many problems that we have in Kansas City as a community stem from the fact that we are a city, and this isn't true of Northeast, but it's true for the parts of the city that were built after World War II. It's a city built for cars. It's not a city built for people. Mm -hmm. And having great sidewalks is one of the ways you build a city for people. Well, I appreciate all your time here. I don't want to take any more of it because probably took more than I promised you I would and from the get-go, but... uh, I guess I'll just stop it here and and thank you for spending time and coming down to our office and speaking through the sirens and uh, the noise around our office and just being willing to sit down with us. I appreciate your time. Time in Northeast Kansas City is is always time well spent for me. Uh, Like I said, you have a great neighborhood and uh, thanks for thanks for hosting us. It was a fun conversation. Excellent. Thank you. There you have it, folks. My conversation with 2019 Kansas City, Missouri mayoral candidate Phil Glenn. Right off the bat, what struck me about Glenn was how knowledgeable he was about the historic Northeast. It's pretty difficult to fake that, and obviously he's been in the community before and has some understanding of some of the challenges that people who live in this neighborhood are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Of course, he'll have plenty of competition for the mayor's race in 2019, with several council members already announced as being in the race. For our part, the Northeast News will look forward to following that race and providing extended coverage as we get closer to the election. Thank you once again for listening to Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. This is Paul Thompson, signing out.